Hi, and welcome back everyone to Mike on Money. My name is Michael LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. And thanks for joining us here every week where we talk about everything that's going on in the market and everything we see coming up this week. And today we're gonna to take a, a bit of a dive or a deeper look into uh, the G7 meeting that just, uh, just happened uh, and give you some updates and uh, what the outcome from those discussions uh, were and what it means for the markets and Canada specifically. With that though, as always, uh, keep in mind, everything we talk about here is for educational purposes only. Always do your own due diligence uh, or talk to a professional advisor before implementing any strategies in your portfolios. And you can always read a, reach us at mikeonmoney.com. Happy to answer any of your questions uh, and tons of information there, uh, access to our other portals if, uh, if you wanna do some of your own education and, uh, and research there as well. If you're watching us live today, you can always click that Q&A button to ask you any questions. Uh, if you're watching uh, recorded or on the podcast, as always, as I mentioned, mikeonmoney.com, send in your questions. We'll make sure we get back to you right away with, uh, with answers uh, and any additional information that might be helpful to your, to your particular situation. With that, let's dive into what's going on in the economy. Uh, busy week this week. We're looking for CVS uh, Health Investor Day. Uh, U.S. PPI numbers for May, U.S. retail sales for May, U.S. industrial production for May, and also Canadian housing starts coming up for May. So all those numbers are expected out. Not really looking for any huge surprises. I think we got some early looks on the retail sales. We're a little bit below expectations. Uh, but again, if you follow you know, these on a weekly basis or even if you catch them uh, every month, um, as we see some of these numbers come out after the reopening, uh, we are 100% expecting some of the numbers to fall off uh, from their peaks uh, of the reopening, uh, because of course they're just they're they're just being measured against the previous month and the previous month before that. So you know, as we come out of complete closure to reopen, the numbers were getting bigger and bigger, uh, and now things are are leveling off. So not necessarily disappointing results, but uh, a little bit lower than maybe some people expected. Uh, but that's not surprising, as we've talked about the inflation numbers that were higher expected uh, for the short term. We wanted those to level off for a little bit. And what's going to level them off is a little bit slower sales as the, the, the real economy starts to take over uh, and we start to see real growth come back into those economies. So nothing really to be worried about there. And in fact, the market stock features uh, hedge a little bit higher. Uh, just uh, just on that data, kind of uh, absorbing that, and uh, also really taking, you know, the market's starting to turn their eyes a little bit to uh, to what the restaurants and hospitality industries are, are doing as we start to see those things start to reopen as well. Uh, investors' expectations that the stock will climb through uh, the rest of this year are easing a little bit on monetary policy, and this again goes right back to the inflation numbers. Uh, we're starting to see the bottleneck in the supply chains, uh, some of those restrictions being dealt with. Hopefully it's just temporary. We see that start to build back up. And, and I have talked to actually some uh, those involved in supply chain and in manufacturing 
and, and while they had massive demand, which caused the bottleneck, they're, they're seeing that, that demand fall off as the retailers uh, stocked up their inventories, right? They put in big orders because they were having big, you know, the sales numbers were going up. Uh, they've, they've completely filled their inventories. Uh, and now they're seeing that slow a little bit as we're, we saw by the retail numbers. Uh, and they've got to eat through that, uh, that inventory that the retailers have built up, uh, which all means a good thing for the supply chain and for the manufacturers so they can get caught up because they were pretty much uh, pressed, uh, which will also mean the, the, the delivery lead times for goods, which we've seen skyrocket, especially if you're doing anything around home renovations or home construction, uh, hopefully start to see those things level off again and uh, go back to the norms, you know, something reasonable that we, uh, that we can all live within. Uh, to mention the inflation numbers, uh, we are expecting them to flatten off and so is the reserve. I've talked about the US Fed and Canada talk, uh, have a target of 2023 before they have to raise rates. Uh, Fed has kind of entered at 2024, although the street is pretty much um, not ridiculed, but you know, quite surprised that they would think out into 2024, given, uh, given what's going on. Uh, and we're going to have to see how that plays out. We're really going to have to pay a lot of attention to the language we hear out of the U.S. Fed uh, and, the, and the, the policy committees, because uh, that's what's going to uh, really telegraph where they're thinking and when that move is going to happen. So language is going to be really important, and the markets are going to be very, very uh, sensitive to language coming out of the U.S. Fed and the uh, back to the future, 2022, is it going to echo the roaring 2020s or are we going to see the inflationary numbers of the 70s? Uh, that's the big question right now. Of course, you know, we had the roaring 20s, every, you know, uh, everyone was drawn into the rush. We saw markets uh, rally. We saw the economy boom. Uh, is that what we're heading for in, in the next decade or the next couple of years? Or are we going to be facing this inflationary, uh, this inflationary pressures we saw in the 70s going into the 80s? I don't think, you know, this is the debate that's going on. I really don't think we're looking at a 70s scenario. A lot of things have changed since then. Even, even the, uh, the Fed and the Bank of Canada's abilities to uh, deal with interest rates, you know, used to be all by auction. Now they manually set them. Uh, there's a lot more data coming in, uh, a lot more forecasting happening. Uh, so I don't think we're going into the hyperinflationary periods of the 70s, uh, but it might be a touch and go versus the, uh, the roaring 20s, uh, because we do have to, you know, almost orchestrate a soft landing of inflation here. We, the, 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 the economy and the markets have to get off the uh, monetary easing that the governments have put out, while at the same time, start the underlying economy growing to be able to absorb some uh, interest rate hikes. So as we head into the next couple of years, that's gonna be the balancing act. I, and as I mentioned before, I don't think we're gonna to start to see, really see the impact of that into 2022. Uh, Europe and uh, the US is nearing a uh, jet subsidies pact. Uh, so this is an ongoing uh, dispute over aircraft subsidies and tariffs. Uh, between the U.S. and Europe for about 17 years. China's been involved into this uh, as well. Uh, but uh, at the G7, uh, Europe and the U.S. looks like, and it's supposed to be announced later today or tomorrow, uh, that they've come to a deal 
uh, to end the tariffs um, and come up to and come up to an agreement on on the subsidies levels uh, or maximum levels that uh, the aircraft industries from both uh, countries or both regions uh, can enjoy. Uh, but they've kind of cut out China from this, and uh, they've agreed to deal with China in, as a combined effort uh, on their subsidies. So we're going to have to see what that that looks like. It's it's an interesting way to approach by cutting China out. Uh, of course, China is not in the G7 discussions, uh, and there's a lot of other issues going along with with China around dumping, product dumping, manufacturing dumping. Uh, and obviously subsidies to, for certain industries. So uh, we'll get those details hopefully later today, if not tomorrow morning, on uh, what that deal looks like. But uh, good for the U.S. and Europe in the sense that uh, they'll be ending this 17-year tariff war. Uh, what's uh, at stake as far as the U.S. debt uh, ceiling, which is uh, looming uh, as the uh, they run out of money again, so they have to go back to Congress and the Senate to get approval to raise the, the U.S. debt levels uh, in order to pay all their bills. Uh, and of course, they have that $6 trillion um, stimulus package uh, when it comes to, uh, this is the stimulus not out to individuals, but more into infrastructure spending and growth spending for the economy. Uh, we're gonna have to take a look at what that means. Uh, pretty much the market is, is basing that uh, the U.S. can absorb this, especially at the incredibly low interest rates. Uh, that they're at right now. In, in fact, in some cases negative or some periods negative. Uh, we'll have to see how that continues to go. Obviously, this is a, there's an end game to this. At some point, all the stimulus money uh, has to stop growing and, uh, and let the economy take over. And that's what they're hoping to achieve this year and into next year. Uh, the feds are tiptoeing around uh, to taper stage months uh, to curtail the, uh, the curtain call. Uh, so this is all around the Federal Reserve buying up debts or U.S. debt to keep that liquidity in the market. Uh, as I mentioned, there has to be an end game to that. And at some point, they have to let the market start to absorb these bonds out there and uh, let the financing happen in the open market. Uh, very likely by third quarter this year. Uh, but again, we're gonna have to keep a very close eye on the US Fed's language as they, they get to that point. Shell is weighing a blockbuster sale of the Texas shale asset. So this is continues on, we've talked about Exxon uh, and, and other major oil companies, uh, really the board of directors, the shareholders, uh, looking to shift the focus of the companies away from fossil fuels and into other technologies into other energies. So Royal Dutch Shell is reviewing uh, its holdings uh, and looking to possibly sell one of their largest uh, fossil fuel shell uh, properties in the United States as they're looking to slash carbon emissions and, uh, and look at earnings, you know, 2030 and beyond. As I mentioned, some of the, some of the most, uh, uh, sorry, some of the most uh, bullish outlooks still had the fossil fuel industry uh, in a unrecoverable de decline by year 2030. Not meaning it disappears, just simply that the demand for it uh, would be in a declining state and, and unrecoverable uh, given other technologies that are making their way to the forefront. So a lot of these big companies are looking beyond you know, 2022 and into 2030 and saying, what is our company gonna look like then? 
which assets do we want now? Which capital do we want to deploy into other technologies, into other areas uh, to make us a going concern and remain one of the largest energy companies in the world uh, going forward? And that's what we're seeing with Exxon and, and, and Royal Dutch Shell doing the same. JP Morgan is starting to stockpile cash, sitting on, on about 500 billion, uh, which is a lot of money, but not all that much for uh, JP Morgan. They're probably going to raise that uh, a lot more through 2022, uh, just looking to take, uh, take advantage of a higher interest rate. So whether to jump on opportunities that that, that creates in the equity markets uh, or taking advantage of some uh, on the debt side once the rates start to increase. So, uh, so we'll keep an eye on them and, of course, the other institutional money managers uh, as to how much money as a percentage of their capital they're starting to raise in the cash. Loeb's U.S. hedge fund, uh, and sorry, uh, Loeb's U.S. hedge fund third point, uh, which owns Vivendi, uh, is also looking at getting uh, selling off that uh, that media giant stake that they have. Uh, over uh, around Universal Music uh, to a rival billionaire. Uh, and this is just a move to free up some capital and focus more on core business. As far as COVID goes, the news continues to get better. Of course, we heard yesterday the phase two of our reopening or step two, I guess, in BC, our reopening so we can travel again, uh, groups up to 50, we can get together with some more friends. Uh, things are looking uh, better and better. The percentage of, of vaccines uh, in BC continues to lead in Canada, but the rest of the country is moving along as well. We've seen Ontario start to reopen and good for our friends out in Ontario. They've had a really tough go. Quebec is going into the next stage of reopening as well. Uh, all very positive and the percentage of those vaccinated continues to increase in Canada, well above, well past uh, a lot of countries around the world, um, which, is, uh, which is great news. And uh, most people I've talked to are well into scheduling their second dose of the vaccine if they hadn't already gotten it. Uh, so no bad news on that front of BC. Obviously still concerned over the variant. The UK, the Delta variant in the UK has caused them to not backpedal, but certainly slow down the rate of the reopening uh, as there's a little bit of concern of that. Uh, but I did see some preliminary research this morning uh, just on the vaccines that uh, while the Delta variant, uh, the people who have been fully vaccinated uh, are getting the Delta variant, certainly not in the same rate and numbers of those unvaccinated, but also uh, I, I believe, and don't quote me in this, I've got to continue to read a few of the research reports on it, but this morning I believe that the, the research showed that uh, none of those who had both vaccines um, were hospitalized. So yes, they, they, they got COVID, uh, but in a much milder uh, form. And so they weren't, uh, they wasn't required for them to be hospitalized. And obviously in that case, no deaths. So that's still early on in those, uh, in those research, uh, but that's still a great outcome if, if the vaccines are protecting us to the point, even to some of the harsher variants that are out there, that, out there today. Take a look at the U.S. As I mentioned, uh, they've got a lot of news coming up this week. The Federal Open Market Committee is getting together to talk about interest rate policy in Washington. Uh, and this is the language we're going to have to pay very close attention to over the next little while, <laughs> just to make sure we see what's uh, any change in that language. We know what their messaging is today, uh, but if uh, we start to get hints that they might change their timelines, 
uh, or tighten those timelines uh, or uh, become more aggressive, then, uh, then we'll have to watch very closely what that means for the market, especially around the growth stocks, uh, as they'd be uh, more heavily impacted by uh, interest rate hikes. In the next 12 months through May, also, we want to take a close look at the labor numbers and the price, uh, the price, consumer price index. Excuse me. As we see those numbers out, they're still inching up slightly or expected to inch up slightly, which is, uh, which is positive. Uh, but uh, you, as you can see, the, the demands and numbers uh, go to 6.3 versus 6.2. PPPI raising to 0.6 for May. Uh, same level as April. So things are starting to flatten off, which is positive uh, because now that's uh, where the real economy can start to take over. Uh, Oracle is expected to post a rise in fourth quarter revenue as their hybrid model uh, for their cloud service. Uh, Serve them quite well uh, as uh, customers revise their spending through uh, the COVID-19 patient up uh, as things start to reopen. So uh, Oracle looks like they, uh, they pivoted well uh, both going into the uh, shutdowns and into the openings as well. Also in the U.S., electric truck maker Lordstown, uh, the CEO and CFO both resigned on the same day. If you don't read anything more about that article, that does not sound like good news. And of course, the shares slumped. Uh, but basically, they, they came out and said they don't know if they have enough money to stay afloat for the next year. Obviously not strong for the shares, uh, share prices. So, uh, you know, just an, an example, obviously a very, uh, very high growth industry, uh, you know, electric vehicles, and especially in the trucking side of things, a lot of opportunity there, uh, but always, always know what you're buying, always know the balance sheets and always make sure that, uh, you know, your companies are funded or at least have cash flow uh, enough to keep them funded until revenues start to rise. Uh, on a more successful note, Novavax, a COVID-19 vaccine manufacturer, uh, effective, effective rate through the U.S. trial is at around 90%, uh, which, uh, which is great. Uh, it's showing uh, high strength against the variants uh, in the late stage U.S. trial. Obviously, the variants, variant trials are still very early, uh, but it uh, shows well for Novavax, which be another Another vaccine to the market, uh, and Canada's got close ties to them for future vaccines because this will very likely be an annual shot that we'll all have to get uh, to keep uh, keep the numbers low and keep COVID-19 at bay. Uh, Musk came out, of course, he's tweeting about Bitcoin. Uh, he came out and said that uh, he would reintroduce the ability to buy a Tesla with Bitcoin if the miners use more clean energy. Of course, this goes but just back to the blockchain technology. Uh, that's, that's the basis of, of uh, all transactions behind Bitcoin or all cryptocurrencies. Uh, is very late or energy intensive. And of course, a lot of that energy is not necessarily clean energy. Uh, a lot of coal burning in there. Uh, so Tesla moved away from Bitcoin a few weeks ago uh, just on the fact that it wasn't in line with their clean environment uh, view, uh, but now he's come out and said he would re-look re at that again um, if, uh, if miners start to use cleaner energy. Uh, really, that means nothing as everything he tweets about Bitcoin should not mean nothing as far as to whether or not you want to invest in Bitcoin. However, he's out there and he likes to move the markets when he can. The U.S. Supreme Court is revising a LinkedIn, or sorry, revives 
LinkedIn's bid uh, to shield personal data. So this is an ongoing battle between LinkedIn and a uh, rival called High HQ Labs. Basically, HiHQ uh, wants to go mine all uh, data in LinkedIn so they create profiles uh, for marketing use, for targeted marketing, uh, and, and be able to sell that data, basically. And LinkedIn has been battling that in court uh, to protect the, the privacy of its users. Uh, and the Supreme Court has um, protected LinkedIn's or, or took LinkedIn's inside in that bid to shield that data. Uh, the US FDA has recently just declined approval of Avenue uh, Floor's formula for a non-opioid painkiller. Um, obviously, uh, would be great if there was a, an effective painkiller that was non-opioid based given the opioid crisis that we're facing globally, but also here in North America very dramatically. Uh, tragically, we've lost many, many individuals uh, across all walks of life to the opioid crisis. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, the FDA denied approval for the second time, uh, sending the stocks uh, tumbling. Uh, and this is the challenge. Anytime investing through biotech, you just never know what approvals are, or the trial outcomes are going to be. And uh, if it's positive, it can mean uh, good things for the companies. Uh, of course, negative uh, can, can seriously affect the stock prices, uh, especially when you're talking about the, develop the developers. Uh, if you want more diversified exposures, you can look at things like Amazon and Johnson & Johnson, uh, who through a very diversified revenue base uh, aren't as negatively affected when one of their drugs or one of their research avenues uh, don't pan out. Coming up in Canada, the CMHC is coming out with the housing start numbers. We are expecting it to rise slightly uh, in May over April, uh, but again, plateauing a little bit. Um, Nothing bad there, just that surge slowing down uh, and, and of course concern over ongoing lending rates. Uh, but we'll get those numbers out later this week. Uh, Canada's top news, Enbridge oil, uh, oil line scores a key win in the court in the US over one of its replacement bids for one of their lines. Uh, this is just another saga in the ongoing pipeline battles with all the pipeline uh, companies, uh, whether it be TransCanada Pipeline, Enbridge, uh, internal pipeline, uh, they all seem to be in battles these days to either build new pipelines, replace old pipelines, uh, but obviously big environmental issues uh, at every turn on any of those projects. Canada's uh, April factory sales were down about 2.1% on autos. <clears throat> Again, that just goes to the retail numbers, uh, not overly concerning. Uh, we did see a massive surge when uh, the economy started to reopen on auto sales after being dead through the closures. So, uh, so just another indicator that things are starting to label, bubble off. Talking about sagas, of course, the Huawei CFO is uh, continuing the legal battles and is looking to ban the uh, publication of HSBC documents uh, in the US extradition case. Um, they believe that they're privileged in, uh, Privileged doc from HSBC. HSBC has already released those to the Canadian and US prosecutors uh, and they want to use them in court. So uh, we'll get the outcome of that ongoing saga uh, as more news comes out. On the exchange front, the US retail sales and industrial production price data that, uh, that we started to see uh, today and, and more coming out tomorrow uh, is showing signs of a bit of a rise in inflation. Uh, so we're seeing a little bit of flattening in the U.S. Fed and 
probably some scaling back to those monetary easings uh, earlier this year than expected. So um, instead of a decline in the US dollar, a more flattening trend going forward. The Canadian dollar holding at 81.99 for just to blow the 82 level. And the bond market pulled back a little bit, not much, just under the 1.5%. Commodities, we did see oil rise hitting almost 72 a barrel, um, you know, up from just under 69 from last week. So uh, continued strength on the reopen expectations there. Copper fell from its highest levels, um, almost down to its lowest level since April. Uh, I don't think that means an end to the demand on copper. It just was at an all-time high. So uh, some profit taken there and a little bit of leveling off as well. So let's take a look at what happened in the G7. And if you're interested, I think they are selling these figurines all hand painted if you want to order your set. Uh, this is, I found this picture very funny that they came out with the, uh, the G7 group all standing uh, socially distanced. I guess we should thank them for setting a good example, uh, but it does, does seem a bit awkward for them to get together. Um, some of the common stuff that came out of the G7, uh, of course, there was a, a big push. We talked about the vaccine, and, and it's great that the developed countries like the G7 are so far ahead in getting their populations vaccinated, but see, there's the rest of the world that we really need to address uh, before we can say that this thing is beat. Uh, and they've, they've, they've gone, they got together and committed to almost 1 billion doses of, of COVID-19 vaccines to be donated to the rest of the world uh, as we look to expand um, the global percentage of those fully vaccinated. <clears throat> so that was good out of there. Also, we've seen uh, a pledge to around the uh, greener technologies, so the phase out the cold fire power generation uh, and go to the newer, uh, cleaner uh, coal burning uh, and other cleaner fuels uh, to provide energy for the world. Of course, the U.S. has been big behind that. Uh, we've seen uh, Germany for years has, has been um, pushing towards that. And of course, Canada is, as well in the G7, all have committed to cleaner energy moving forward. The one thing they didn't dive into, though, uh, you know, if you do look at Germany uh, as a test case, Germany was really early on to the wind and solar power. Uh, and if you followed me talking about this stuff, uh, the, you know, what makes it really attractive now or re really meaningful now, because <laughs> it's not just leaders or it's not just people asking for it. We're now at that tipping point of cost where industry wants to shift because it is, it is becoming at this point cheaper and it will moving forward become cheaper to use the alternative energies versus the traditional uh, dirtier uh, or more harmful fossil fuels. So uh, Germany, however, started doing this earlier before we were at that tipping point, tipping point in pricing, and it did cause their economy to slow a little bit, uh, slow a little bit because the energy cost was higher, uh, and of course the you know, the market had to bear those higher costs and absorb that, uh, you know, over time. So it's almost you know a test case to look what you know great that they took a leadership role and moved into that for the right reasons. But from an economic recovery standpoint, uh, you need to be cautious about which, which technologies, uh, you know, that cost realization uh, to make sure they're not driving up the energy prices and stalling the economies, especially at a very sensitive point right now uh, of, of a recovery. So, um, so it's great they've committed to uh, move 
move that forward through to 2025 with some pretty ambitious goals. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what the real action plans are with the money that they've pledged and how they're going to achieve that and what technologies are going to win out. So something to keep a, a close eye on that they didn't really dive into any real details around, uh, but I think important factor to consider. Uh, of course, you know, the big theme was America was back at the table. Uh, Joe Biden showing up uh, to ease a lot of the friction that uh, Trump and his administration had kind of created with the G7 allies. Uh, being much more collaborative, especially on things like um, uh, environmental uh, issues, uh, but also around tax, of course, one of the things that they got together, of course, is that uh, foreign global uh, flat foreign tax, uh, which is also very good. But again, not a lot of details of that implementation. They're all headed back on, you know, what they're going to do with those, uh, with those agreements but how that's going to be implemented and who it's going to affect is going to be the big thing. Obviously, the, the target is the big conglomerates. The tech companies are, are you know, highly focused in that. But are they going to uh, throw a big net and catch a bunch of small fish is what we have to be very careful about. Because, uh, again, you don't want to stymie growth, right? Um, one of the things that wasn't on the table that you, you kind of wanted to see is how to get rid of bureaucracy and regulation around a global market or global growth economy. Uh, we talked last week about, you know, the synchronization we're seeing in global economies in this recovery. Well, how do we, how do we keep that going? How do we keep the barriers down? The tax is fair as possible, 100%, but also not so much that it's going to impede growth. Uh, so that really wasn't discussed. So again, we're, we're seeing um, some lack of detail coming out of the G7, which, you know, really that's what the meat of this is, or what we, we need to see uh, coming out of here. Human rights, of course, was at the forefront of the discussion, as it should be when these countries get together. Uh, and they did kind of, again, come up with a very broad agreement to work together to uh, work, with, uh, work with, and in some ways against, uh, China uh, around their human rights, uh, you know, the, all those protests we saw pre-pandemic in Hong Kong and all those issues are continuing to go on, uh, not just around the Hong Kong um, uh, new legislations and rules that they put into place, but China as a whole uh, and, uh, and the G7, of course, have, have agreed to work together to, to battle that, whether it's through sanctions or through uh, negotiations with China. Uh, at least there's a unified front uh, amongst them. And Russia came up a lot in those discussions as well. Uh, obviously, a lot of concerns of the destabilizing moves that uh, Russia has made, uh, especially in, in areas around Europe, uh, as they continue to um, face sanctions from the G7. Uh, they've committed to be a unified front against a former G8 member. Uh, as I mentioned, of course, the uh, the unified tax uh, agreement that they come up with, the minimum 17% uh, corporate tax rate, mainly targeted around the, uh, the different corporations, uh, especially in the tech sectors. Uh, so with that, um, I'm going to keep it short this week. I know usually I blather on a lot, but I have to admit uh, the G7 wasn't as excited as we were hoping. It was been very general, uh, but some great information. Uh, and great policies that hopefully the, the countries will continue to build on. We'll keep you informed with that. Also, I want to keep you uh, advised. We are, are uh, our next 
series or next sorry episode in bitcoin is coming out this week if you want to go check that out and also we're going to be starting a new series interviewing ceos around some interesting growth names um which will be starting it'll be a monthly feature uh and we'll have that out to you as soon as we nail down the format and which we hope to do in the next week or so so with that i'll let you go enjoy your um, early part of the week uh, visit us at Mike on Money with any comments, questions, or suggestions, any topics you'd like us to cover. And I look forward to talking with you again next week. Thanks very much, everyone. Take care.